Our scripture passage for today comes from Proverbs chapter 4. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts, do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the ears of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech, and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward, and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left, Turn your foot away from evil. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, now we ask that your grace and your mercy would be upon us as we come before you asking once again for you to guide us in your word. Lord, as we feel so paralyzed with all the narratives and the confusion that it results in, God, we pray that your word would truly ground us on solid footing so that we would know how we should think, how we should feel, how we should act, and therefore be a blessing to the world that you've called us to serve. Father, it has been an overwhelming season for us as a church family and as members of this society and as citizens of this world. God, we pray that you will help us to truly rely upon you and not upon ourselves and that we will not veer away from the truth of your word for it is only in your word where we find hope and healing. And so, Father, we ask for these things that you would grant us through your spirit in the preached word the healing and the hope that we can only find in you and you alone. And so, Father, we pray that you will bless this message in spite of the one who brings it, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. 
you know, it goes without saying that this has been a tremendously difficult season for us as members of the church, as people of this culture, and even as citizens of this world. With the convergence of COVID-19, racism, and of course the recent decision of the Supreme Court, we can't help but to feel overwhelmed with so much anxiety, so much anger, so much confusion and chaos. And it gets so overwhelming to the point that we feel so psychologically and emotionally spent that we just want to throw in the towel, we just want to give up and just stop caring, including the things that God calls us to care about. You know, and it's in moments like these that I believe it is wise for us to heed the advice of our Lord Jesus Christ, who once said these words in Matthew 6.34, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Mm. In other words, according to our Lord, He tells us to take one day at a time. Just take one day at a time. Don't let the troubles of tomorrow intrude into your life right now. Let it stay there. But for today, just focus on the things that you have before you right now. You know, I think that's brilliant advice. And as we heed it, we come to discover something wonderful to be at our door. Because what is today? That's right. It's Father's Day. It's Father's Day, the day where we gather around and remember and recognize the one man in our life who plays such a vital role into our existence. All right? And so for all you fathers out there watching right now, let me just say... Happy Father's Day. We love you, Dad. We thank you, Dad. We are so appreciative of all that you do for us, Dad. Happy Father's Day. But Dad, as you are currently being surrounded by those who love you, celebrating on why they say you are so important, I hope you will take this opportunity to consider how you are to love those who tell you they love you so much. Why? Well, because of what Jesus just said to us. Because each day has its own troubles. And unfortunately, that also is true for the day that we are living in now and what it represents. What do I mean? Well, one of the things that is pretty pervasive in our culture today is that the concept of fatherhood is something that is not very much appreciated because of the fact that fathers in our society are not given much credence or much significance in the eyes of the world. Whatever lip service that dads might be getting today, the unspoken assumption is, is that dads are simply not that important to our society. A couple years ago, I came across an article in the Atlantic magazine, and the title of the article, no joke, was simply, Are Dads Necessary? And I want to read to you how this article ends, because I think it does capture kind of the cultural psyche that our society has when it comes to dads. Take a listen to what it says. Quote, Fathers, rough house all you want, but we gatekeeper moms are in charge of the rest. We could give you detailed instructions, and you still couldn't possibly do it as well. The bad news for Dad is that despite common perception, there's nothing objectively essential about his contribution. The good news is, we've gotten used to him. End quote. Ouch. <laughs> that is pretty harsh. And what is this person saying? They're saying that the perception of dads is, we're a bunch of idiots. We don't know what we're doing. Now, regardless of whether you agree or disagree with that, one thing that is true about what this article is saying is that in order to be a good dad, you have to know things. Fatherhood requires knowledge. 
especially the kind of dad that God calls fathers to be. And so today, fathers, that's what I want to ask of you. What are the things that you are to know? Well, as we take a look at this passage in Proverbs chapter 4, we're going to find the answer to that. And it is my hope and prayer that as you hear the instruction from Proverbs, you will become a knowledgeable dad, thereby becoming the kind of father God has called you to be. So with that in mind, three things that God calls fathers to know. And here they are. First, a father must know his children. Second, a father must know the culture. And finally, a father must know Christ. A father must know his children, a father must know the culture, and a father must know Christ. Let's begin with the first point, a father must know his children. Now, when you hear the title of that first point, you might find it to be absolutely absurd. A father must know his children? What kind of title is that? Or maybe a more accurate question you're feeling right now, Dad, is what kind of father is that? Because unless we're talking about the dads on the Maury Povich show, most of us assume that all dads know their kids, right? I mean, any half-decent father would know their own children, right? Well, I'm not so sure. This time last year, the talk show host Jimmy Kimmel did an interesting thing on Father's Day where he went out onto the street and asked a bunch of random fathers series of questions that you would assume any lovable father would know concerning their kids. Questions like, hey, what's your child's birthday? What are the color eyes that your kids have? What's the name of the school that your children go to? And literally, and I mean literally, every father that they interviewed could not answer any of those questions. Not one right answer. It ended with one father not being able to answer a series of questions. It just buzzed, bzz, 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 got them all wrong. And then the next scene, mom comes into the picture. The interview asks the same series of questions and she gets them all right. Ding, 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 ding. And with each answer <clears throat> she gets right, you could see the father's face in the background being filled with such sullenness and shame. Right Now, you could laugh off this video simply as a, as a friendly tease against dads on Father's Day, but if you really think about it, it's actually quite sad and actually quite sobering. Sad to say, many fathers today don't know their kids as well as, their sh as they should. And here's what's so interesting. Many fathers today will even admit to this. Back in 2018, a Pew Research poll <clears throat> reveals that 63% of American dads have confessed, confessed they don't spend nearly enough time with their kids as they know they should. That's over half the fathers in America. 63% of dads admit, they confess, they don't spend enough time with their own children. Now, friends, let me ask you, if fathers even confess this, do you not think it is possible that many dads in our society don't know their kids as well as they should? And fathers, if you find yourself in a moment of sobering honesty also adding to yourself to that percentage, this is not the time to be filled with shame. Rather, it's time to pay attention to what our passage tells us. Because if we take a listen to what it tells us, we'll be able to remedy that problem. So let's do that now by first considering again what it says in our passage. Starting in verse 1 of our passage, we read the following. Here, sons... Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and 
live. Okay, pause right there. So our passage begins with a father addressing all of his children. Notice the plural form of sons and hear, O sons. So clearly the father that is talking is a father of many. And because that is so, this father recognizes that in order to be the kind of dad that God has called him to be, he needs to do two things if he wants to know his children the way he should. First, he must know his kids by spending quality time with them. And secondly, he is to know his kids by spending quantity time with them. So let's take a look at it beginning with the first quality time. Look again at what the dad says in verses 3 to 4. Here he is describing the scenario of how his own father treated him and parented him so that he can emulate it as he raises his own kids as the dad. And the question is, what was the father of the dad doing? How did he get parented by his father? Well, it tells us that he was parented as if he was the only child. You see that interesting phrase there, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother? According to some Old Testament scholars, that's referring to a mother breastfeeding a brand newborn baby. You see, one of the things that you may or may not know is that whenever a mom faces a situation where she has to breastfeed two different babies, at the newborn stage, you can only breastfeed one, right? Because they're just too tender and they're just not capable of latching on when there's another sibling competing, right? And when you understand that context, you understand the clear implication the father of this passage is saying. And it's simply this. Just as a mother needs to give individual and personalized attention and care to her newborn as she breastfeeds him or her, so also a father, as he parents his kids, must parent them in a way that is personalized and individualized. In other words, no matter how many children you have, you need to make sure that you spend time with them that it's individualized and personalized. That's the nature of the quality of parenting that you must give fathers, meaning even if you have many children, that doesn't mean that you cannot spend time with them one-on-one. There's no such thing as bulk fathering. There's no such thing as shotgun daddying. In order to be the kind of dad that God has called you to be, you must have the quality of your parenting of your kids that is individualized and personalized for each and every single one of them. Consider this quote from Pastor Tim Whitmer when he writes this, quote, You can learn a lot about the members of your family by spending time all together, but you also need one-on-one time with child to deepen your understanding of how to nurture him or her most effectively. We get to know people by doing things with them. Participating with and supporting your children's activity is a valuable way to get to know them. It is an opportunity to see how they interact with other people and how others view them. You can have them help you if you're working on a project around the house, or you can help them do their homework. The more time you spend working on things with your children, the more you will learn about their attitudes and aptitudes. So there it is. In order to be the kind of father that knows his children the way God intended, you must spend quality time to where your care for your children is personalized and individualized. But hold on, there's more. For consider what else is said in our passage in verse 1, where it says, Be attentive, O son. Be attentive, O sons. You see that word attentive? That tells us a lot about the nature of the kind of fathering that fathers are to do. Because what that word seems to imply is that the father has a lot to teach his kids. That's why he's telling them, pay attention. There's a lot of content that he must instruct his children to acquire from him. 
which means in order to convey this content, this mass amount of content, he needs to spend a lot of time with his kids. And this is evident by what the father goes on to say in verse 10 through 12 of our passage. Read it again. It says, Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. Have I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the path of rightness, uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Notice how the father's instruction is such to such voluminous extent that it goes beyond multiple years and it goes throughout the developmental times of their of their of their lifetime from walking to running so clearly this father has a lot to teach his children which means he is going to need to spend a lot of quantity time with his children and this is something i really want you to get fathers because one of the common mantras that you hear today is that when it comes to being a father you don't need to spend a lot of time with your kids. You don't need to have a lot of quantity time with kids. You just need quality time, right? You don't need to spend a lot of time with your kids. You just need to have time well spent with your kids is what is commonly said. But consider this quote from George Barna, who's a research marketer, as he talks about this very issue. He says this, quote, There is no research that supports the view that the quality of time parents and their offspring spend together is an acceptable substitute for the quantity of time committed to that relationship. Most studies have indicated that the quality time, quantity time debate is ill-founded. The issue, not, issue is not an either-or choice, but a both-and proposition. The children that grow up best, adjusted, and happiest in life are those whose parents spend considerable amounts of quality time with them. What's he saying? He's saying it's not enough just to say that you're going to get quality time with your kids. No, you need to spend exceptional amounts of time with them. Quantity time. Now, the question is, what does that look like? practically because I know we're all busy and it just seems like the idea of spending more time with your kids on top of the busy schedule just seems overwhelming but you know it's not as hard as you think it may be because if you think about the various categories of time that we organize our life around you'll come to find that it's much easier what do I mean by that the various categories of time well think about it we organize our lives through various categories of time let me show you what they are first there is what is known as daily time the things that we do every day. Then there is weekly time. Okay. Then there is monthly time or, or, or time that is seasonally done. And then there's, of course, there's the annual time. And if you translate this out into fatherhood, it could look like something like this, such as daily, you could have dinner with your family every night as a group. But then you can do individual time with each of your kids when you help them with homework. And then you have weekly time where you can do something like a movie night at home, a game night as a group. And then, of course, individually, once a week, you can have extended conversation and a time of prayer as you tuck each individual child to bed. And then, of course, there's the monthly time where you do some sort of outdoor social activity like going out for dinner, going for bowling, a sporting event, a theater. And then, of course, you can have one-on-one -on -one breakfast with each individual child where you go into much further detail of the things that you talked about at bedtime prayer. And then, of course, you have the seasonal activities that you can do on Halloween, Christmas, Valentine's, whatever it might be. And then you have individual activities that each child does, sports, art, recreation that you can participate in and support. And then, of course, you have the annual activities like a family vacation or maybe even a one-on-one -on -one birthday reflection where you meet with each child individually and talk about their plans, their goals, their dreams. You see, there's so many different permutations and ways in which you can spend quantity time with your kids that's not overwhelming and is not intrusive to the already different responsibilities that you must do. Now, 
With all this said, however, it does beg the question, with all the time that you spend with your kids, whether it's quantitative or qualitative, what exactly are we to be doing in the midst of that time together? Well, if you look at our passage, it's very clear on what we are to do. We're to instruct our children. We're to teach our kids. But of course, that further begs the question, what exactly are we to instruct them on? What are we to teach them? Well, the answer leads me to my next point. A father must know the culture. Let's skip down to the middle of our passage. We're starting in verse 14. We read, Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Now let's skip down to verse 24 as we continue. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So here in these verses, we see clearly what we are to be teaching or instructing our kids. And you know what it is? It's the culture that they are embedded in, the culture that they are going to be growing up in. See, the Bible tells us very clearly that as fathers, God does not want us to prevent our kids from getting exposed from the culture. Rather, God wants us to prepare our kids to get exposed by the culture. Let me say it again. God does not want fathers to prevent our kids from getting exposed to the culture. He wants us to prepare our kids in getting exposed to the culture. Okay? And this is something that really needs to sink in, dads, because I find that too often dads work too hard in trying to prevent their children from getting exposed to the culture. But I'll tell you what, you have better luck of preventing bugs from entering into your apartment. Because as hard as it is to keep bugs from coming into your home, right, it's so much harder to prevent the culture from coming into your home because it will come. This past year, I remember picking up my children from school and my oldest, Kara, was telling me that one of her classmates got a cell phone. She said, Daddy, you won't believe this. So-and-so got her own cell phone. To which I responded, okay, all right, that's interesting. But then Kara went on to say, but daddy, that's not all. She also has a TikTok account. Now, up to then, I had no idea what a TikTok account was. Okay, And so I reacted the way anytime my children tell me something, I have no idea what they're talking about. I totally pretend I know exactly what they're talking about. And I was like, what? Ooh, really? And then the moment that she fell asleep that night, the first thing I did was get on my phone, download TikTok, and see what it was all about. And when I did... It was clear that I need to start preparing my children for the culture that they're already exposed to right now. But of course, that begs the question, how do we prepare our kids for the exposure to the culture that they will inevitably be exposed to? Well, the answer is quite simple. The way you prepare your children of getting exposed to the culture is by protecting them from the false ideologies, the false narratives of the culture. Consider again this quote from Pastor Tim Whitmer. He writes this quote, Our duty of a shepherd at home, fathers, is to be on the alert for wolves that could harm our children. We need first to be aware of the cultural wolves that would harm them. 
These are the broader principles represented in the culture that are counter to scriptural principles. We must communicate to our children that Christianity is largely countercultural. Its values are often the opposite of what they see in the media or hear from their friends. End quote. What's he saying? He's saying that the principles of our culture or what our culture says is right and wrong is completely antithetical to what the Bible says is right and wrong. Which means as dads, we must make sure that we are teaching our children the principles of the Bible so that they don't get sucked in and become helpless prey to the predatory false narratives of our culture and just simply buy into it and therefore get enslaved by lies. Okay? And when we take a close look at our passage, we come to find that there are three false ideologies or maybe cultural wolves, if I can call it that, that we as fathers need particularly to be on the watch out for and therefore protect our kids from. Let's take a look at them for what they are. Look again at what again it says in verses 24 to 27. Okay? If you take a look at those verses, you come to see an image of a winding, crooked road that goes in multiple directions. And this imagery of a crooked, winding road that goes in multiple directions is trying to convey the denial of the existence of a clear, one-way direction that is clearly the right way to go. That's what this imagery of the crooked road is trying to convey, that, that there is no such thing as a one-way that is right and true for everyone to go on. And we see the same idea being propagated today in our cultural narrative. And that's the cultural narrative known as relativism. Relativism. And what is relativism? Relativism is the belief that there is no such thing as absolute truth. And because there's no such thing as absolute truth, there's no such thing as objective right and wrong. People who buy in to this false narrative will say things like, hey, what's true for you isn't true for me. Or what you say is morally wrong for me is morally right. So don't impose your truth upon me because truth is relative. Right? That's relativism. And when people buy into that, the problem that results is people can't come together because there's no agreement. Everything is relative and therefore there is no unity that could ever be possible because there is no common, one, clear direction that everyone must recognize, a universal truth that everyone must abide by. That's relativism. Now let's move on to the second cultural wolf as fathers we need to protect our kids from. And it's referenced in verse 17. Read again what it says. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. In his commentary on Proverbs, Old Testament scholar Bruce Walke explains what this verse is saying when he writes the following. Quote, the wicked's regular diet craves brutality as when gamblers build their magnificent casinos by exploiting addicts or the rich build their mansions by underpaying workers or workers live luxuriously by cheating the company. End quote. What's he talking about? He's talking about materialism. Materialism, which is the belief that says... It's more important to love things and use people rather than to love people and use things. People who buy into this cultural narrative will say that the only thing that makes life worth living is cash, comfort, competition, chattel, right, and credentials. Those are the things that make life worth living, right? Cash, comfort, competition, chattel, and credentials. Those are the only things that I want to live for. That's the only thing that I crave, which is just stuff even if it means I have to use people to get this stuff. That's materialism. And it just causes people to become so selfish, so sinister, and so self-serving. Okay? 
Now let's move on to the third and final cultural wolf or false ideology that we need to protect our kids from, which is alluded to in verse 19. Read it again with me where it says this. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Now you see that phrase, deep darkness? That's such an interesting phrase, isn't it? And it almost seems kind of redundant. Isn't darkness already deep in terms of it's already dark? It just seems overused in terms of saying dark darkness. And yet, if you keep reading the book of Proverbs, you see this imagery coming up again in another chapter of Proverbs that talks about a specific issue or sin. Read again, or not read again, read with me, Proverbs chapter 7. We're starting in verse 9, it reads this. In the twilight, the evening, in the dark of the night, there it is again. Suddenly a woman came out to meet him. She was dressed like a prostitute and with secret intent. She is loud and rebellious. She does not remain at home. At one time outside, at another in the wide plazas, and by every corner she lies in wait. She, so she grabbed him and kissed him. Hmm. Here's this imagery of a prostitute who's aggressively seducing a very young, naive man to the point where he is so intoxicated with lust that he stumbles. What is this? This is the imagery of hedonism. Hedonism. And what is hedonism? Hedonism is the belief that the purpose of life is just to feel good. It's all about feeling pleasure at all costs. That is the maximum of life. That is the meaning of life. It's just to make sure that I feel good, that I have nothing but pleasure. And conversely, that also means anything that causes me to suffer, anything that requires me to sacrifice, anything that requires me to have to endure through hardship is branded as wrong, something as evil, and therefore something to be rejected and denied. That's all hedonism, you see? So there you have it. The three false ideologies or cultural wolves that as fathers, we need to be vigilant in making sure that our children don't buy into relativism, materialism, Hedonism. We cannot allow our children to buy into these narratives and adopt these ideologies as the truth for them to live by. But then the question becomes, if these are the ideologies that we are to protect our kids from, what ideologies should we be encouraging our kids to adopt and to live out? Well, that leads me to my final point. A father must know Christ. Read again our passage, this time starting in verse 5, where it reads, Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. So here, the father is telling us what the goal of our instruction as dads should be. The ultimate goal when it comes to our instruction to our children is so that our children will acquire wisdom. Acquire wisdom. That's the ultimate point of what we're trying to do as we parent our kids as dads. We want to make sure that each and every one of our children acquire wisdom. And when you realize that, now you understand why we have to protect our kids from things like relativism, materialism, and hedonism. Because these false narratives actually blockade and prevent our kids from acquiring a wisdom. They get in the way, they interfere, and they try to filter out our children's ability to acquire wisdom. You see? And that's why it's so important that we make sure we get these obstacles out of the way so that they can be open and ready to receive this wisdom that they must have. But therein lies the question. How exactly are our children supposed to get this wisdom? 
What is the source of wisdom that as dads, we must ensure that our kids acquire for themselves? Well, thankfully, the Apostle Paul tells us in clear words where the source of wisdom is found. Read again, or read with me, excuse me, Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, where Paul writes this, In him, Jesus Christ, lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. According to the Bible, the only source, the single source of wisdom is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. You cannot get wisdom from any other person, any other place, any other source. You only find it in Jesus Christ. If you're talking about real wisdom, you're talking about Jesus Christ because that's how synonymous these two things are. Okay? And when you realize that, you come to understand what Proverbs is ultimately talking about. Because when the father of Proverbs 4 tells us that the ultimate goal of a father is to make sure that their children acquire wisdom, what it's really saying is that as fathers, our ultimate goal should be that our children acquire Jesus. Acquire Jesus. And now you get a much fuller picture, don't you, of why we must protect our kids from things like relativism, materialism, and hedonism. Because these specific false ideologies are actually trying to prevent our kids from acquiring Jesus and recognizing Jesus for who he really is. I mean, think about it with me. Think about what the gospel teaches. Okay? The gospel teaches many things, but I want to highlight three specific things the gospel teaches. First of all, the gospel teaches that Jesus is the truth. Right? He's not a truth, but he is the truth. Okay? Jesus said this about himself in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay? Meaning, there really is only one direction that every human being was destined to go on and to follow through through. And that is, it is through Jesus Christ so that we could meet our ultimate destiny, which is eternal life with God. And when you understand that, you come to understand another thing that the gospel teaches, which is what? It teaches us that God is the most precious, the most valuable person that we could ever have, that no person, place, or thing in this material world could ever compare and therefore replace. In other words, the gospel also teaches us that the spiritual, because remember, God is a spirit, is much more valuable than the material. Which is why Jesus asked this question, what good is it, is it to gain the whole world and forfeit your own soul? Matthew 16, 26. And it's when we seriously consider this question of Jesus right here that we come to find another truth that the gospel is trying to teach us, which is God loves us so much. He loved us so much, even when we wanted nothing to do with him, even when we rebelled against him, even when we were running against him by our own sinful rebellion. God loved us still by coming into the world as Jesus Christ. What, so that he could live a very comfortable, pleasure-filled life? No, so that he could live a life of tremendous suffering that would result in tremendous humiliation, betrayal, even a violent death, so that if we put our faith in that love that he has for us, evidenced by his work on the cross, we could have our souls saved, you see? Don't you understand, fathers? When we are fighting against the cultural narratives, of relativism, materialism, hedonism. We are setting our kids up to be able to make an encounter with Jesus. So let me break it down for you with a couple of examples. As fathers, when we teach our kids that there is really one truth and that they are to live by a true right and wrong, what we're doing is we're creating a foundation for them to later on comprehend the idea that Jesus is the truth. 
Do you get that? Or fathers, when we are teaching our kids there's more to life than getting stuff and money and material things, we're training our child to develop an awareness of another existence, a spiritual existence, where in that realm is the greatest treasure of all, God. And furthermore, dads, when we train our kids that sometimes you do have to suffer in life, sometimes you do have to endure through hardship, sometimes you do have to sacrifice things, even things that you find so important to you, we train them to eventually feel a kinship to the one who suffered for them and loved them so much and sacrificed so much so that he could have them. Don't you see, when we train our children, right, to know what the cultural narrative is trying to deceive them with and help them to see the truth in all of that, we are setting them up to have an encounter with the most important person they'll ever have in their lives. And it's not you, Dad. It's Jesus Christ. You see? And here, let me be clear on something. The primary way that your children will know this Jesus is through you, Dad. Study after study after study has shown that the biggest determining influence on whether or not our children will have a genuine spiritual life is not the pastor, is not their church friends, and it's not even mom. It's dad. Study after study says that. And because that is so, this tells us, dad, that if you really want to protect your children so that they can be prepared to encounter Jesus, you must know Christ. You must have a growing, genuine, gregarious relationship with Jesus Christ so that as your children spend time with you that is both qualitative and quantitative, they're not just going to encounter you, Dad, but they're going to encounter the one that you know. They're going to encounter Jesus Christ. So fathers, here's my charge to you today. As you are reminded of the wonderful role that you play in the lives of your children, I hope and pray that will stimulate you to be reminded of the responsibility that you have to your children by having a firm conviction. Conviction to know your children, to know the culture, and to know your Christ. When you make a commitment to know these things, you will fulfill the God-given call of fatherhood that He wants you to live out. I hope and pray, dads, that you will take this call and this conviction seriously so that your children will encounter the most important and the most wonderful person that they could ever have. And that is your Lord and Savior, Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that we will truly live out as fathers this call, this responsibility to know. That we would know our children, that we would know the culture, and most importantly, that we would know you. Father, we are living in a time where it seems that fathers are being relegated to a corner of the culture easily forgotten and dismissed. But Lord, we pray that that would not be the church's response or the church's responsibility of educating and equipping and encouraging our dads to fulfill their God-given role of being a true instructor, a true teacher of the hope that is found only in you. God, I pray for all of my dads in our congregation that we would take up this call valiantly and in hope in spite of all the challenges that we face, in spite of all the discouragements that we feel, that we would stay true and steadfast in living out the call to fatherhood for your glory and for the good of our children. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.